You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All kinds of college football talk to get to. Good morning. It is Monday, January 3rd. You are listening to the College Football Daily. My name is Trey Scott, about to bring in the coach, Carl Reed, college football analyst for 24-7 Sports. We're going to break down the playoff semifinals and, and what the all-SEC rematch means for everyone else in college football. We're going to break down the spectacular slate of Saturday's New Year's Six games. Oh my goodness, Jackson Smith and Jigba is still running wild somewhere out there in Pasadena. And we're also going to break down the comments by Kirk Herbstreet on Saturday morning uh, about the bowl opt-outs and, and what that means. And I think Carl is a, a really great guest to have on here as a has a high school football coach who, who who knows a lot of players and has 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 coached players and, and been close to players who have opted out and have had to make that bowl game decision. He's got some pretty insightful stuff to say. This is going to be a busy week at 24-7 Sports. I'll be down in San Antonio for the All-American Bowl, which will be on Saturday on, on NBC, but we do an entire week of content and coverage down there. We also had the Under Armour All-American game on Sunday too, uh, so the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast will be, I believe, in overdrive this week. So make sure you're subscribed to that podcast and we'll have a ton of ton of new episodes in your feed there. And we'll do some recruiting coverage here on the College Football Daily this week. And we'll also do some exit interviews with the teams who lost the playoff games and do a little bit of spinning forward the next few weeks and what that means for the playoff rematch and college football and all that stuff. But we're going to toss it to Carl right now. Before we do that, or I guess in the interim of, of doing that, we're going to play the clip of Kirk Herbstreet and what he said on college game day. And you'll hear that and then we'll pick it up with Carl. Every coach that I talk to in the country, when I'm breaking down a, you know, a roster, I'm going over there too deep in a production meeting. And one of the things they'll say to me on a guy that, like Nicobe uh, Dean, this guy loves, loves ball. ball. Right. And I'll be like, when they first started to say that to me, I was like, yeah. Yeah, of course. But now I'm starting right. to realize, like, no, this guy's a gym rat. Like, he'd be here, yeah. even if we didn't ask him to be here, he'd be here. And that's becoming more rare. Exactly. And the reason that's becoming exactly. more rare is they have so many distractions. They, you know, they have this, and they have video games, and they just don't grow up with the same passion, I think. Right. We had, there's some that still do, but I don't think as many. Okay, Carl Reed joins us right now. We just heard the, the Kirk Herbstreet clip, and then, of course, Herbstreet, you know, clarified it a little later in the day didn't didn't quite give an apology and that's you know that's his that's his right he, he did say though um of course some players love the game the same today as ever but some don't carl i i don't want to spend too much time on this the football was really awesome this week and i want to get the ball with you but you coach players you're around players you know them very well you know players who opted out you know players who played in bowl games does he have any point that there are some players who don't love the game compared to maybe his generation. Have you seen that with, with social media or name image like this? Have you, have you seen that at all? Well, Kirk and I are around the same age. There's always been players who don't love to play football, right? When, when college coaches are recruiting kids, the most over-asked question is, does the kid love to play football? All right, not everybody loves to play football, and that's nothing new. What has changed is now kids have NILs, kids have more rights, so the stage is a little bigger from those kids when they make those decisions. But you've always had guys who didn't love to play. So it's 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 kind of irresponsible and self-serving to say, well, you know, back in my day, everybody loved to play football, and now the kids are disrespecting the game because that's not really true. You you talk to a lot of players. Um, I already I, I already said that, but yeah, I, I know you're close to a few who did opt out of their bowl game. 
What, what do you think they would say to the comments from Herb Street? Well, I think that they love football, but they probably love themselves and their family more, right? So you're talking about you have millions of dollars on the line and it's life-changing money. And so you love yourself more than you probably love the team or the situation that you're in. It's not like they're not playing football to go work construction. They're not playing football, then they're going to go play more football. This time is just going to be where a lot of money is involved. And I don't think that it's right to ever ask somebody to do something that they feel like is against their best interest because everybody in sports acts on their best interest from the coaches to the personnel to the the media personality similar to Kirk Herbstreet. He gets paid a ton of money to talk about college football and it's always negotiation. It's always doing what's best for you. But over the years, when the player benefits or when the player says, I need to do what's best for me, that always becomes a problem to the old guard. Yeah, no question. All right, let's get into the game. So we had from four days, from Wednesday to Saturday, just this awesome bonanza of really good football. Started Wednesday evening, you had the Cheez-It Bowl, then you had the Alamo Bowl, Oklahoma versus Oregon. Thursday was awesome. You had the the Duke's Mayo Bowl, which was more so just a side spectacle. And then, of course, you had Purdue beats Tennessee in an overtime thriller in the Music City Bowl. You had Wisconsin play that night. Friday, the semis were were blowouts, um, but but that's okay. They, they were, you know, and we, we learned some stuff. And then, of course, Saturday, um, Oklahoma State, you know, 37, Notre Dame 35, Ohio State 48, Utah 45 in a classic Rose Bowl. Baylor beats Ole Miss by two touchdowns. Ole Miss has to play Luke Altmeyer after Matt Corral. It was heartbreaking to watch him go out with an injury. Uh, X-rays say he's okay. And we had some other good games sprinkled in too. We'll go back to the semis though, Carl. You texted me during the game. You were like, you know, the SEC is just different. And on Saturday night, as we watched Michigan get blown out by Georgia in what we had hoped would be a competitive game, uh, a lot of pockets of Twitter started to talk about, you know, the state of college football, where we were once again going to do this all SEC national championship game, um, a rematch of a game we just saw play. My counter to that would be we're guaranteed a really good game. On January 10th in Indianapolis, there's not going to be a blowout. We know what these two teams look like. Georgia is favored by two and a half points. That's kind of funny to me. When you say the SEC is different, you know, to me, I think, I think recruiting, I think the line of scrimmage, um, recruiting especially, what do you mean by that? Overall, the talent level, um, it's just some freaky dudes playing football in the SEC, right? And it starts at a young age, and it's not just in college. It's if you if you follow high school football, if you follow youth football, if you go into the South, if you go into the states, into the deep South where SEC football is played, it's a different emphasis on it at the youth level. It's a different emphasis on it at the high school level. And that carries over to the college level. They spend a massive amount of money on it. They get the best coaches. They get the best nutrition. They get the best housing. There's just a different level of focus on football in the South that is not around for other places in other parts of the country. And it shows when you get into the big time, big time games and you see teams like Georgia and Alabama and the type of teams and talent that they have. What did you learn the most from Alabama versus Cincinnati? Well, there's levels to it. You know, Cincinnati, I I didn't, I mean, it was what I expected and what I already knew. I didn't think that the University of Cincinnati would have enough to play against Alabama, but they did earn the right over the course of the season to be in that game. Luke Fickle has built an incredible program. He's done an incredible job with the guys that he's recruited and what they've had, but he doesn't have anything to be ashamed about. He's not the first guy that went into a college football game and lost to Nick Saban in the University of Alabama, but it's just levels to it. And then Georgia 34, Michigan 11. I've been to Stetson Bennett 
denier, I guess, for two years, Carl. I, I still don't know, man. The game of his life and whatever. I'm, I'm being really harsh on him. Um, maybe I'm, I'm resolute in my theory that you have to have a, an elite quarterback to win a national title. Uh, he's a game away from proving me wrong, but you know if he, it, you know if he gets sucked into a shootout versus Bryce Young, I don't know. What did you learn from that game? Well, he's a good quarterback. He's a good college quarterback. He's just not a great one, right? He's good enough for Georgia to win, and obviously they start him and play him for a reason. I'm going to side with Kirby Smart and Todd Monken and the decision that they make to play him instead of say playing the JT Daniels. I think they know what's best for their football team, but. He's a good quarterback. I think that he gets a really bad rap because he's not an elite. He's not a first-round guy. Probably, he may not even be an NFL draft pick. But when you think about what did he do wrong this year, he lost to Alabama. And a lot of dudes have lost to Alabama. When you think about the teams or the games that Nick Saban has lost in the playoffs over the course of the last several years, you're thinking about Deshaun Watson. You're thinking about Trevor Lawrence. Uh, you think about when he lost to Johnny Manziel a few years back. You're talking about generational quarterback talents that has taken the beat Nick Saban in Alabama. And Bennett is not a generational talent. And so when it comes down to the difference between Alabama and Georgia, the quarterback the position is probably the difference between those two teams. But he's still, Bennett is probably good enough to beat everybody in the country except maybe Alabama, but he is going to get another crack at it. And that's why you play the game. If you were looking at a rematch game, Carl, would you rather be the team who won the first time or lost the first time? I'd rather be the better team, you know? And so if you look at, if you look at football, whether you play a team twice, whether you won or lost the second time, it all comes down to who has the better football team. And right now, Alabama has been the only team that's been able to exploit the one true weakness that Georgia has, and that's a secondary. Alabama has the receivers and the quarterback to really throw the ball on Georgia. And that's how you beat Georgia. You're not going to beat Georgia lining up in 11 personnel and 12 personnel and running the ball 40 times a game into the teeth of that front seven. That's not the formula to beat Georgia. They're going to have to spread them out, get Jamison Williams in space, and turn it into a passing game the same way they did the first game. And that's the key. Yeah, Vegas, you know, saying Georgia's the better team. So that'll be interesting. Um, all right, let's 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 talk a little bit about these New Year's Six games because they, they certainly delivered the Fiesta Bowl, Carl, Oklahoma State, was down 28 to 7 against Notre Dame. Do you have any if you're a Notre Dame fan, does that like you're not taking anything away from that as far as like Marcus Freeman's coach, coaching chops, right? Like that's a pretty tough no, first game. No, that's a tough first game and 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 you still got to get into it. Oklahoma State is a really good football team. They've been a good team all year. Mike Gundy has always been an impressive offensive football coach and I think that they have a lot they've had a lot of change like one thing about the bowl games that I don't think people realize is the amount of staff turnover and change that it takes and the amount of um the amount of continuity that you lose between the old coach and the new coach even though when you promote an assistant you think the continuity is the same but there's still a couple of assistants a couple of support staff people that you lose that it takes some it takes a year or off season to shore those things up Notre Dame is going to be fine they they got behind the hire Marcus Freeman he was the right guy for the job but I just think they lost to a really good Oklahoma State team um, with a veteran coach and Mike Gundy yeah hat tip to Spencer Sanders who 
has just had this most inconsistent up and down career. I remember in 2019 thinking like this guy is going to take over the big 12. He threw for four touchdowns and 371 yards, no interceptions, and then rushed for 125 yards against Notre Dame. He did have, I think he had a fumble, um, which was, you know, w- with three minutes left, which was bad, uh, but, but they came back and won. So that was, that was awesome to see for Spencer Sanders, who gets ragged on a ton. I thought the Rose Bowl, Carl, was maybe the game of the year. And there were three touchdowns scored in a 50-second mark. I thought my biggest takeaway, though, would be it's the whole, it's almost like the SEC argument. It's the talent gap. Ohio State's third in the team talent composite. Utah's 32nd. You have to play a perfect game if you're the team that's 32 uh, to beat the team that's three. Utah came so close, but you see the depth, you see the talent. There's just, you know, you're playing a, a converted running back to, to a cornerback. Um, Clark Phillips was awesome on the other side, but there's just no answer for Jackson, Jackson Smith and Jigba. 347 yards, three touchdowns. CJ Stroud threw for six touchdowns. Just an incredible game, but but talent winning out in Ohio State maybe looking like the number two team in the preseason next year. Well, it's going to always be tough for Utah to beat Ohio State for all the reasons that you just said. And Utah almost played a perfect game. When you're talking about, like, they were as close as you can get to playing a perfect game. And they're really, really impressive, especially at the line of scrimmage. And Kyle Whittingham has done a great job with that program. But those receivers from Ohio State can overwhelm you. Um, It's just really tough to guard those guys. C.J. Stroud playing as high of a level of a quarterback as we have in college football right now. And Ryan Day has always been really good at exploiting matchups once he finds a guy who can kind of get in his groove. He's always been really good at bleeding that thing out um, if he finds a weakness in your coverage anywhere. Yeah, it's, it's funny. I, th- I think uh, Garrett Wilson and, and uh, Chris Olave opting out made uh, JSN a little bit more extra money, right? Yeah, for sure. And, and it goes to say, at a, but at a place like Ohio State, they have the talent and the depth to withstand those kind of losses. And they showed it. And, and they just, they didn't miss the beat offensively. They were able to keep it marching and keep it rolling. And they're going to be really, really good coming into college football next season. And they'll yeah. have a chip on their shoulder. Losing, losing to Michigan, being out of the playoffs, they're going to come in with a huge chip on their shoulder. They made a massive hire at defensive coordinator. And so they're going to come in with some ambition next year. Well, week one, Carl, they played Notre Dame in the shoe. Yeah, that's gonna be hey, that's gonna be a big one. Marcus Freeman going up against his alma mater, and those are the kind of games that that make or break seasons right off the right off the gate. If you want to be in the national championship race at the end of the season, if you're Notre Dame, if you're Ohio State, they're gonna look back at that week one game. So all off season, you know how important that deal is. I have a take for you. I know you love the coach, so you might agree with it, but maybe like give me like a strongly agree kind of degree, or you can, I, I would love for you to tell me you don't. I think in the new look Big 12, given what they did, given that they're in a position to recruit to state really well, I think Dave Aranda could have a Davo Sweeney type presence in Waco for the next 10 years. Well, the big difference is why that's tougher for him is because he has a bunch of other schools recruiting that state. So Dabo is in Clemson and it's him and it's the University of South Carolina. And, you know, he's got to still recruit against Texas. He's got to still recruit against Texas A&M, who's recruiting at a higher level right now than Texas A&M. But I do think that he can do a great job of finding the kind of guys that he needs to win at Baylor with the way he wants to play. And he's he's a contrast from everybody else in the league because he's a defensive guy and he believes in playing high-level defense. Now, he has allowed his offense to still 
speed it up and do no huddle stuff and, and stay current. But he is as good as it gets as a defensive coach and a and a defense. He's a defensive matchup problem anytime you see Baylor. But I I was surprised that they held on to him during this hiring cycle when things got kind of crazy. But if they can continue to hold on to him, you can see some special things happening in Waco in the Big Twelve. It's really fun watching them, and I I understand that most of their players doing the impressive things where Matt Rule gets and the, the eval we know by now he's, he's huge into t- to testing times, track and field, verified mm-hmm. results. I, Carla, if, if you're at a school like Baylor, it's easier to get away with that and sign the three-star and say, look what he did in the hundred, right? Um, when you're at yeah. Texas or Texas A&M, it's a little bit different, um, but you almost wish that you that you know, you know didn't have the expectations at those big schools to sign the three-star and say, well, look, well, look what he did on, on the track. Well, if you're going to if if you have Texas and Texas A&M and you're going to give a guy a chance like that and then you're going to equate it to his track numbers, you just got to hope that he produces or you're going to get killed, right? The, at the end of the day, though, you just have to win. Which, whichever way you're going to go about it, if you're going to be the guy that chases all the four and the five stars, if you're going to be the guy that finds guys that fit your system, whatever you do, you better win or you're not going to have a job. And that's the, that's the most important thing. Forget what the media is saying. Forget what the talking heads are saying. You do what you believe in. If I was going to be in a situation, I'm going to go down doing it my way. And if you if you don't do it your way, you're going to be sorry in the end. Real quick, last question for you. I was thinking about this last night. Luke Altmaier kind of heated up at the end of the game. It looked really good for a true freshman. Lane Kiffin, though, Carl, the, the Rebels have already had a, a few transfer quarterbacks that they've been interested in. They hosted Gillen, Dylan Gabriel for an official. He committed to UCLA. This is a new era of college football. And I think Baylor has a si- similar situation with Gary Bohannon and Blake Shapin. Uh, do you roll with one of those guys or do you hit the portal? For Lane Kiffin, a lot of the quarterbacks out there are still available. If you're the coach of that team, are you investing in the in the true freshman quarterback? Or are you saying I'm still going to go portal because I, you know, Alt Meyer's game and hit, hit the experience he got last night or, or Saturday night, I should say, that maybe changes the calculus there. Well, what Altmaier did for himself is he gave himself some value to where if Lane doesn't go for him, with him a year from now, he's able to go to the portal and kind of pick his own destination and have some value for himself because he did play well, you know, in a in a situation that wasn't optimal. I think what Lane has to measure is does he believe in that guy? He practices with him every day. And so you'll know whether he believes he can win the SEC with him because, I mean, he's in the SEC West, the toughest division in college football. I still think that there's some guys out there in the portal that may interest him that you may take a look at because he's looked at a lot of kids in the portal and so what you have to also think he looked at those kids in the portal knowing that that kid was on his roster and that didn't make him change how he felt so I still see him going into the portal now if the kid beats him out he beats him out you know and that's the business also Carl Reed, great stuff, man. It's, uh, it's, it's a short podcast. It's a shame we can't do 10 minutes on each game because I think we're getting some good stuff. Yep. Do you, do you, I don't know if you'll be on. I, I got to do podcasts from San Antonio and then the, the title game comes. Do you want to give me a quick Alabama versus Georgia pick? Are you ready for that? Well, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you what. It's, it's a lot of guys I love on both sides, but if I have to, if I have to go with it and give a pick, I'm gonna go with the University of Alabama. They're the champs until they ain't the champs no more, like Shaquille O'Neal used to say about the Lakers. And if you want to beat them, you're gonna have to beat them. If you're the University of Georgia and you want to be the national champions, you are gonna have to beat Alabama. They're not gonna beat themselves. They're not gonna give in to you. You're gonna have to go and stay the dragon. And people haven't been able to do that consistently, so I'd have to stay with Alabama. Alabama is my pick to win the national championship again. 
All right, Carl Reed, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks, Carl. All right, thanks to my guy, Carl Reed, joining us. Follow him on Twitter at CoachReed314. Our producer, Lance Glenn, has done a great job producing all these national episodes and hosting a lot of the recruiting podcast episodes, especially over the holiday break. So shout out to you, Lance. Thanks for your hard work. And uh, sorry about the Rutgers loss in the Gator Bowl. I think it was fun to play and Gavin Wimsat. I think a lot to work on, but also uh, a lot of potential there too. All right, that'll do it for today's episode of the College Football Daily. We will talk talk to you on Tuesday for the next edition. See you then. The baseball season is in full swing, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Stample, every weekday as we recap every player from every game. We'll talk waiver wire ads, drops, players to trade for, prospects who could make an impact, and everything in between. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found.